Hello, and welcome to the American Health Law Association podcast on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is a podcast that is being provided by the Women's Leadership Council, and part of the council's purpose is promoting the creation of an inclusive environment in which women will be respected and thrive in the practice of health law. And perhaps there's no better example of promoting the creation of an inclusive environment in which women will be respected and thrive than Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm Christy Kreider. I am a shareholder at Baker Donaldson. I chair the firm's healthcare litigation group, and I have the pleasure of chairing the firm's women and women's initiative. I am a diehard super fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it is my distinct pleasure to have with me on the podcast today, James Duff. Mr. Duff is the um, director of the administrative office of the U.S. Court. He was appointed to the position originally by Chief Justice John Roberts. Um, and that became effective in January of 2015. And through his position as the Chief Administrative Office of the U.S. Court, he came to know Justice Ginsburg. Mr. Duff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Christy. Good to be with you. Tell us a little bit about how you came to know Justice Ginsburg. Well, I'm happy to, and like you, I, I've uh, great uh, been a great admirer of her over her career. And uh, I first met her actually in 1996 uh, when I was counselor to Chief Justice Rehnquist. Uh, that was when I first got to know Justice Ginsburg, and then as you mentioned that in this current role as director of the administrative office of the courts, I've uh, worked uh, with her again in that capacity. And I actually started that uh, job back in uh, 2006 and did it from 2006 to 2011, then back again in 2015, as you pointed out. But it was in 1996 that I first met her, and um, I w when I was counselor to Chief Justice Rehnquist, I was working on uh, a couple of matters, uh, for internal matters for the court. And uh, at that time, uh, I, I just didn't even know it was some of the things I had been working on would come to the attention of the other justices. But one matter did in particular, involving some security issues, uh, we were um, confronted with at the court in those days, and that was pre-9/11. Uh, but I had handled a matter uh, for the court, and she sent me a, a handwritten note um, of, of thanks, and it was so uh, for personal, and and uh, I was just so uh, thrilled with it, uh, and she. Uh, indicated that I had ex uh, exhibited the wisdom of Solomon in a, an approach I had taken on a matter, and uh, it was such it was such a great compliment, uh, especially coming from her, but also uh, having a, a in a handwritten note 
uh, was a wonderful personal touch. And uh, my and just my mother was a great letter writer, and uh, I've always I've tried to emulate that because I I think a handwritten note makes you feel so special. But you can imagine uh, how I felt getting a handwritten note from Justice Ginsburg and um, what that meant to me. And over the years, that that, uh, that personal uh, uh, touch and relationship grew, and uh, I've certainly saved uh, my handwritten notes from Justice Ginsburg. Oh, I bet. What a treasure to have those. Um, you mentioned that during those remarks that a handwritten note shows such a personal touch and attention to detail. Take us inside her chambers. Tell us what those looked like. Well, she was a great uh, aficionado of art and uh, she had on display numerous pieces of art. uh, both that she had accumulated personally and, and the justices uh, are, are uh, given on loan uh, pieces of art from the Smithsonian. And uh, so it was, uh, her chambers was, uh, it was like a uh, an art gallery really. And, uh, um, but also very, she had a very, uh, it was very personalized as they all are. Um, and uh, very comfortable. She was a very uh, warm person and, and uh, a special friend. And I mentioned uh, the handwritten notes. I would say the the most special one I have was when my mother passed away and I, I uh, received a, just a wonderful note from Justice Ginsburg. Um, uh, and uh, it's a real treasure. But she was just, she's just, uh, her chambers reflected her personality and um it was a uh, a welcoming environment i would say i think all of us are are looking for ways to connect with justice ginsburg and i too am a huge believer in making the office space in which we spend our days beautiful and inspiring and um, and comforting. And so thank you for giving us a peek inside her beautiful chambers. You mentioned her love um, of art, and I've read that she also really, really loved the art of beautiful music. Can you tell us a little bit about the program Music at the Supreme Court and what Justice Ginsburg's role was? We had a wonderful uh, tradition. I think it was started by uh, Justice Blackman, Harry Blackman, uh, music at the Supreme Court. And it was uh, one one day a year. Uh, they set aside an afternoon over l- lunch break, basically, um, and invited a, uh, a you know well-known musician to perform. Um, a musical piece for about an hour, a little concert at the Supreme Court. Um, Justice Blackman, as I mentioned, started it uh, for the court, and I believe uh, Justice Ginsburg inherited the role of uh, coordinating it. it. It may have moved from justice to justice, but uh, she was uh, she embraced it uh, for a, a long period of time. Um, 
and they, the artists that would come and perform, volunteer to come and perform, were outstanding um, artists. I remember uh, Denise Graves, the great opera singer, and she was DC, based in Washington D.C. It was her hometown, so she she performed uh, maybe more than once, but uh, it was wonderful. Uh, private uh, uh, presentation, and it became very popular. I think NPR started broadcasting it. Uh, I don't know if they still do, but uh, certainly, you know, 20 some years ago, I know they were. And uh, so I would, I, I love music. I know you do too, Christy, you're a good performer, but um, I got involved a little bit with, uh, with that and would make recommendations from time to time. One day, one year I recommended uh bluegrass music which is a little bit out of uh out of the ordinary and um she was very interested in doing it and then i later learned justice scalia was a big i, I didn't know justice scalia was a bluegrass fan <laughs> until i uh, learned uh, on when when he passed away uh i wish i'd known it back then we probably could have pulled it off um we didn't have the bluegrass presentation that, that that particular year that I'd recommended it, but I'd given her a list of some names, some na good Nashville names that you might recognize. <laughs> uh, well, you're, you and I share a mutual love of music and particularly of bluegrass. And it just warms my heart to think about Justice Ginsburg being intrigued by bluegrass music. And I did not know until you told me that Justice Scalia loved bluegrass music. Um, I read that Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg shared a mutual love of opera. And um, did you observe that and tell me what, what you saw? Well, they did. Uh, they not only shared uh, the love of opera, uh, but they really had a great, great, wonderful relationship. Uh, uh, and, and it's pretty well publicized these days how uh, what great friends they were. Uh, they, they and for many many years before they got on the Supreme Court, they were friends. And uh, it was really wonderful watching uh, th them uh, interact. I think particularly nowadays in these so extremely polarized times. Uh, it's very uplifting. Even in those days, uh, it, was, it was uplifting to see um, that that very natural friendship um, evolve and be on display. Um, it, it, uh, you know, 25 years ago, it wasn't as well publicized, that is, their friendship. Um, and it, it, was, it was just kind of nice to see even uh, at the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, and the way they interacted there, um, and knowing that for many years before it was um, more publicized, it's sort of like that country. I was country before country was cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it was it was nice. It was really nice to see that, uh, uh, even in in the days when it, the country wasn't as polarized as it. it unfortunately is these days uh, that friendship was uh inspiration uh to all of us who work there and uh, i think today can be 
should be held up as an inspiration to all of us um, that uh, whatever political viewpoints and differences we might have, it shouldn't uh, interfere with uh, personal friendships and relationships. And they were, they were, it was just uh, great to observe. I mean, they were uh, two very, very bright people and two very, very funny people and they enjoyed each other's company. And, uh, you know, it was kind of fun to uh, be on the fringes and, and, and observe it. I would like to ask a follow-up question on that. You you talked about her relationship with Justice Scalia. I'm interested in your observations about how she built relationships with others, both those she disagreed with and then those who thought similarly to her in their in their political stances. And um, you know, she was so small in stature. She had so many feminine traits. Her, her intricate descent collars and pearls. Can you talk about how she built relationships and if, if in your observation, how she used her more feminine traits to build relationships and consensus? Well, it was, it's an interesting um, observation about her. I mean, she had this wonderful uh, combination i would say of of uh, of a softness but also a strength i mean you know you you made the observation about her physical appearance and stature she was the strongest person i have ever known and i i mentioned this in a uh, some written remarks that uh, we i did I'd, uh, given a little while back about her at her passing but uh i you know, Justice White was a former professional football player, and he was, you know, he, he had a handshake that could really, you know, bring you to your knees. He was very physically strong. But I would say Justice Ginsburg uh, was even stronger. I mean, she beat five cancers, five episodes of cancer in her life. She overcame, um, and they were serious cancers, uh, pancreatic and breast cancer. and uh, I've never known anybody uh, stronger than she was. So she had this uh, inner strength and, and a physical strength, uh, no matter uh, her, her size. And, um, and, and but she also had uh, she was very uh, had a softness. She very, was very soft spoken and and um, had uh, this is great combination. And I think she uh, was very effective in, in um, her interactions with her colleagues, um, but it, because it was a, you know, they all recognized both traits. There was a politeness, but also a strength uh, in her. And it, I don't think it's gender related, frankly. I, I mean, I saw the same traits in uh, Justice Powell, uh, Lewis Powell, who was this uh, Southern from Richmond, Virginia, uh, very polite. Um, I, I guess in those days you say Southern gentleman, uh, um, but a, a real strength to him and his character. And they were there. I, I would compare that them um, and those character traits that uh, 
they've utilized and uh but not not in a uh you know a, a, i mean they utilize them naturally they were just they were naturals at uh, building relationships friendships um and i think both were kind of based in the uh, a softness and a strength uh, at the same time. Tell us about her her sense of humor. Oh, she was very funny, um, and uh, you had to pay close attention because she was very soft spoken. But she had some great zingers uh, that she would uh, come up with, and uh, we had a. <laughs> My favorite story was we were uh, in the uh, dress rehearsal for the inauguration it was uh, President Bill Clinton's second inaugural. Um, and I guess that would have been 96 when I first started uh, working in Chief Justice Rehnquist's office because it was uh, Clinton's second inauguration. So I think that was 96. And anyway, uh, just the Chief Justice Rehnquist had already um, gone through one with Justice uh, uh, President Clinton in '92, and President Clinton had already done it once before. So neither of them needed to go to the dress rehearsal for the '96 inauguration. Um, so I was a stand-in for Chief Justice Rehnquist and Terry McAuliffe, who worked for. Uh, President Clinton, and subsequently became governor of Virginia, and, and may have even dabbled with a presidential, uh, flirted with a presidential run of his own. But anyway, he he was a stand-in for President Clinton. I was a stand-in for Chief Justice Rehnquist. Uh, Vice President Gore uh, had requested that uh, Ruth Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, uh, give uh, him the oath of office at the inauguration. And so she went to the dress rehearsal uh, with me and um, uh, Terry McAuliffe. And I forgot who was a stand-in for Vice President Gore at the dress rehearsal. But in any event, they um, had built a, uh, a little uh, step stool for Justice Ginsburg to stand on because she was short, much shorter than <laughs> um, uh, Vice President Gore. And uh, so she was <laughs> in the dress rehearsal. She got up on that step stool, uh, which was to make her the same height as Vice President Gore to administer the oath of office. And the step stool was really quite uh, high. <laughs> so she got on the, on top of it, and it was really too far. Too it was built up too high. And she looked at me and she said, "They must have thought I was Doctor Ruth." who was even a, a, a shorter uh, person at the time, uh, a, a well-known personality. It was very, very short, shorter than Justice Ginsburg. <laughs> so she had a Thank great you. sense of humor. Thank you for sharing that story. That's fantastic. Um, I think one, one of the things that many in the legal profession and outside the legal profession struggle with is the pursuit of a meaningful career while also experiencing the fullness of family life. It often feels like a very delicate balance 
and that it's easy for the scales to tip in favor of the career, which um, asks so much from so many of us. And one of the things that I've always been intrigued by is how it seems like she gave everything to the, the wonderful, exquisite profession of law, gave us all more than we deserved of herself. And yet, she had a lifetime of what, by all accounts, was a very healthy marriage and raised wonderful children with her husband, Marty. And I, and I imagine all of the listeners of the podcast would love to know your observations of how she found balance in her life. Well, she was a, a phenomenal person with, uh, enormous energy uh, and strength that we've talked about uh, and stamina and uh, she managed um, her time uh, in in ways that I don't know when you know she slept but uh, um, she did have a balance in her life and uh, and she would tell all of you uh, if she were talking uh, about it she would give a great credit to marty her husband for so many years because he uh in part because uh he did all the cooking at home uh and that was um, mutual uh, agreement <laughs> on their part he was a great cook um and that that helped uh helped her with the balance a bit um, but it was more, uh, than that, of course. I mean, she, uh, uh, was able to, to focus on so many different things at, at, at one time. She was a, a, a remarkable person and, uh, there were, you know, she was a very, very, her family meant, uh, meant very much to her. So, uh, she made it work. Um, one of the, uh, I hope you'll forgive me for asking you a question that we have not previously talked about, but I'm guessing you'll have some wonderful observations on this. Um, on the night that she passed, it was, um, it was very noteworthy to me how distraught that those in my inner circle were from my 18-year-old daughter, who um, is a freshman in college, to senior partners who are, you know, nearing the twilight of their careers and how she impacted so many generations. Um, Because the common thread of respect and admiration, how it ran from the young to the very old, how it ran from the far left to the far right, how it ran between without regard to gender. And that's just nearly unheard of in an individual. And 
I would, as someone who told her friend, as you did, I would be interested in your thoughts on those of us um, listening to the podcast right now who want to honor her legacy, who want to live our lives in a way that would honor Justice Ginsburg's legacy. What do you think she would tell us if she were here to answer that question? I think she'd, uh, thank you for asking that. And it was eloquently put uh, as to her impact on people um, of all ages, all gender, all, all walks, um, all political viewpoints. I think she would uh, say, be strong. I mean, I, I, I know that uh, she would sign uh, notes and letters uh, and, and even books uh, uh, written about her that she uh, would autograph. It was a, a, a phrase that she would use. I, I think it, uh, the messages that she would uh, convey is that you're going to, as she did, as she encountered in her career, you're going to hit obstacles, you're going to hit challenges, but you have to be strong. You have to work through them. You don't, don't use them as an excuse not to accomplish, uh, use them as a motivation to, uh, uh, to, to do more and to work through them and overcome them as she did. And um, I think that would be, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying it as well as she would, but um, I think that that's the message of her remarkable career and her remarkable life is, uh, uh, you know, she, she, was, she was strong. Uh, and uh, as we've said before, you know, by outward appearances, you, you wouldn't, that wouldn't be your first impression, but wow. I mean, look at what she accomplished and what she did. Uh, she had to be strong. Wow. Two really powerful words. I did not know that. I did not know that that was um, how she often signed off on letters. Thank you so much, Mr. Duff with for being with us today to to share your observations on justice at Ginsburg. Thank you so much to the AHLA Women's Leadership Council for honoring Justice Ginsburg's legacy by hosting this podcast. And um, I think it's fitting to sign off as Justice Ginsburg might sign off. Be strong. <laughs> Thank you very much, Christy. I appreciate you asking me to join you today.